Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, I'll just want to say about Kenny and Carrie, if you haven't had a chance to meet them, make sure you do introduce yourself. They have been a wonderful blessing to our church family. We're exci- so excited to have them. Um, Kenny told me that he just turned in his last paper, right, for Liberty University uh, this past week. So he's finishing up his master's in Christian ministries. We're really excited for him to be able to, um, yeah, congratulations. So he'll walk in December. Uh, we are continuing in our series today called Vision 2020. And today uh, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let me give you just a little bit of background what's happening in that passage. That passage is the calling of Samuel, Samuel the prophet. And this is the first time in Israel's history that God's going to begin to lead them through uh, these prophets. And so there'll be many prophets that'll be coming down the pipe. Samuel is the first of those. Um, and so Samuel's a young boy. Uh, Eli is the old high priest, and Samuel comes into uh, service uh, under Eli, and so there's this um, event that happens where Samuel is called. It happens in the tabernacle itself, the place where God dwells. So flip over in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to ask for you to stand to your feet, and we'll read together from God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 4 through 10, the calling of Samuel. Here we go. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. You may be seated. All right, so what I'd like to do is just walk through these verses together. We're going to jump back to the couple verses just before what we read. So let's start at verse 1, the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. That phrase, in the presence of Eli, literally means under his tutelage. So he's a helper to Eli. He's come on board, I think at the age of 2 or age of 3, Samuel did, in service in the tabernacle under uh, the direction of Eli, the high priest. Now, um, it says that the word of the Lord, verse 1, was rare in those days. That is, it was rare under Eli's leadership, and there were no frequent visions. So imagine for just a moment that you're an ancient Israelite, and you've come to the tabernacle to offer your gifts, to offer your sacrifices. This is a pretty major undertaking for you to, to do. You may have had to travel 50 miles. Maybe you had to travel 100 miles. But you had to come from some great distance. It's not an easy trip. You had to bring your own provisions. There was no restaurants. There was no fast food chains to stop along the way. There were no hotels for you to stay in. You had to bring live cattle with you or a live goat or a live turtle dove or whatever your sacrifice, your grain offerings, whatever it was that you were going to be sacrificing. Um, You were going to be taking time away from your family. You're going to be taking time away from your farm, time away from your work. Um, And so you under to, you know, to go through this undertaking would have been no simple trip. And so when you finally get there, though, you're standing in front of this tabernacle, this 
uh, portable tent unit. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But you get there, and your heart leaps, and you think to yourself, okay, I see this place where God dwells in the midst of our people, in the midst of our nation, and it's worth it. I'm so glad that I came. I'm so glad that I'm here. And so you're standing there. You've been in the long lines. You've gone through all the expense. You've taken time off of work. You've endured the dangers of the trip. Um, But then we learn in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that is, in the time of Eli, that there were no frequent visions. So in other words, the tabernacle had become a pretty quiet place as far as God's presence goes. People arrived anticipating to hear from God. They were hopeful they would hear from God, but yet they left empty. They left disappointed, had gone through all of that, and then God didn't show up. Nobody was home. Verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, probably had some sort of cataracts, had something going on with his vision as he's getting older. His eyesight was not as good. Verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, it says, where the ark of God was. Now, this verse tells us quite a bit. Let's take a look at and kind of work through this. Um, it mentions a, the lamp of God. This I've got a picture for you here. This is the golden lampstand that would have been inside of the tabernacle itself, giving light to the tabernacle, and it was lit during the nighttime hours. Um, Here's another picture of the tabernacle for you. Um, It shows uh, the tabernacle complex itself. You can see the outer court, and then you can see the actual building inside of the outer court, that tent there, and that's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is composed of two rooms. I've got another picture of the tabernacle, a little cutaway for you, and you can see the two rooms of the tabernacle. That golden lampstand would have been in the first of those rooms. It was the larger of the two rooms. It was the first room that you would have entered into if you went inside the tabernacle. But remember that the only people who are allowed to go inside of the tabernacle are the priests themselves. If you came from out of town, you're an out-of-town visitor. If you weren't from the tribe of Levi, there was no getting to go inside the tabernacle. The priests would go in on your behalf, and they would make sacrifices. They would make offerings, those sorts of things. And then there's a room at the back of the tabernacle. You can see it's a smaller room, and it was what was called the most holy place. The outer room was called the holy place. The inner room is called the most holy place, or what we refer to as the holy of holies. It's where the ark of God was kept. And this is where God's presence would literally come and sit on top of, or rest on top of, that ark of the covenant, that thing that Indiana Jones was trying to find all those years ago. Now, um, the lampstand uh, that was inside of there, that was in that first room, was filled with olive oil. And they would have stuck a little wick down inside of the lamps, inside of each of those little lamps. um, And that lamp would have burned throughout the night. Back to verse 3. It says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So I already told you what time of day it is, but that verse suggests that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That is that it's been burning for a while. So this is not the beginning of the night. This is not the middle of the night. More than likely, this is the wee hours of the morning uh, as dawn is perhaps beginning to break. Still in verse 3. Here comes the real head scratcher for me. It says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of God. Well, I just shared with you, the only people who were allowed to go inside of the tabernacle were who? The priests, that's right, from the tribe of Levi. And we know earlier in chapter 1 that, uh, that Samuel was born as an Ephraimite. He was not a Levite, so that Samuel should not have been inside of the tabernacle. So for me, this was a little bit of a, a, a strange but again, you say, well, Gordon, I got the answer for you. You said it just a minute ago. He was there as a helper for Eli. And so he was helping out. He was carrying the night shift, right? He was in there keeping the lamp going, making sure there was oil in the lamp, making sure that things kept burning. He was just there working as kind of a supplemental uh, worker, if you would, keeping things going during the night. 
Um, well, that is possible, but then look at the end of verse 3. It says that Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, you can take that statement in one of two ways. The first way you can take that statement is to believe that the Bible just informed us that the ark of God was inside of the tabernacle. In other words, duh, the Bible was stating the obvious that the ark of God was inside the tabernacle. Again, the people who are reading this, people for whom this was written originally, were Hebrew people. And so for God to tell them that the ark of God was inside the tabernacle would have been like, well, yeah, everybody knows that, right? Um, so there's no real reason for the Bible to report that. Or option number two is that the Bible is informing us that Samuel was sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That is that Samuel was sleeping the night. He was having a sleepover back in the Holy of Holies. That Samuel had pulled the curtain back and he had slipped back behind where the ark of God was a place that had been kind of quiet for a while, and he decided to have a spend the night back there with God. You say, well, which is it? Well, I'm inclined to say that Samuel went inside the Holy of Holies. I think that this verse is telling us that the Bible does, again, the Bible does not waste words to tell us that the ark of God was in the tabernacle would have been wasting words. Um, plus the fact that God had not shown up in the Holy of Holies for a while. There were not frequent visions anymore. So I think Samuel had, you can say bravely or foolishly, had slipped behind the curtain and had crawled up in the sand alongside of the ark of God. Um, furthermore, this reveals to us, if I'm a Hebrew person and I'm reading this text, this reveals to us how special Samuel was. That God did not zap Samuel out of existence as exactly what happened to anybody else. This shows how incredibly special Samuel was, that he could go back there behind that curtain um, and survive such an encounter. Now, can I know for sure that this is, this is the deal? No, this is a pure speculation on my part. Uh, but either way, either way you look at it, he's camping out in the tabernacle, either in the, most, in the holy place or in the most holy place, which means that he's very close in proximity to where God is. Can we all agree on that? Right? Just by the real estate itself, we can agree there. Next verse, verse 4. We'll zip through the rest of the story. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord called out to Samuel, and Samuel sat up from his little bedroll and said, Here I am. Verse 4. And he ran to Eli. Remember, it was God that spoke to him. He hears a voice. He thinks, must have been Eli. Doesn't dawn on him that it's God speaking to him. So he ran, ran to Eli, and he repeats the statement, saying, Here I am, for you called me. A couple of things to note here. First Samuel's response. He says, Here I am. Um, again, who is saying this to Samuel? Who's saying Samuel. Is it Eli? No, it's God. Yet Samuel responds thinking that it's Eli who's called to him, and so he runs and says, hey, Eli, here I am. Um, this tells us, remember, this is middle of the night. I imagine he's probably got sleepies in his eyes, but it says that he ran, right? He, he heard the voice, he popped up out of bed, he took off and went to exactly wherever Eli happened to be. And so he runs to him, and he says, Eli, here I am. So this reveals to us a lot about Samuel's the seriousness with which he took his job, right? He's a servant. He's there to serve. He's there submitted to, to those that are in authority over him. He's eager. He's ready. He's willing to be used. Um, so he says, sir, reporting for duty, middle of the night. Eli says, wasn't me. Go back to bed, son. Verse 6. The incident happens again. God calls Samuel's name. Samuel runs to Eli, sir. Here I am. You called me. Nope, not me. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again, again, right? A third time, this time Eli perceived that it was the Lord that was calling the boy. And so Eli gives Samuel a strategy. He says to him, verse 9, 
This time go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Or in the NIV it says, Speak, Lord, for I am listening. Last verse, verse 10. It says, And the Lord came, it says, and stood, calling as at other times. Now let's stop here for just a moment and ask, what part of the Godhead stands in human form? Is it God the Father? No. Is it God the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit doesn't stand as in human form. What part of the Godhead stands in human form? Jesus does. God incarnate. Um, And so, I don't know if, I've read this passage thousands of times before, but it never dawned on me who it is that's standing there speaking to Samuel. That this is God incarnate. This is Jesus. This is God, the pre-incarnate Jesus, come down to earth in the tabernacle having a conversation standing in front of Samuel. Um, This should not shock us because Jesus appears all over the Old Testament. He is God walking in the garden. He is God who sits and has a meal with Abraham. God consumes food while he's sitting there eating with Abraham. Jesus is God wrestling with Jacob. Jacob literally grabs a hold of the God, the the text says, and wrestles literally to the mat with God during the night. Um, And yet the scriptures say, again, that Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with God incarnate. That would be Jesus. Jesus is the fourth figure in the fiery furnace. We just sang about that a few moments ago. He's with us in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus is the man under the myrtle trees in Zechariah's vision. Jesus is the humanoid messenger delivering good news to the parents of Samson that they will conceive a son. And then Samson's parents, after looking upon this figure, say, oh no, we're going to die. And they, why are they going to die? They say, because we have just seen God. They see this man standing before them. Jesus appears all throughout the Old Testament. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus was created in the womb of Mary. Friends, Jesus was the Word. He was with God in the beginning, like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always been. He was God appearing to Samuel, conversing with Samuel, standing in front of Samuel, delivering a message to this young boy. And there are many other instances. These are just a few that I've mentioned here for us. Okay, well, that's our text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. I know you've been waiting on this. Don't worry about the ball game yesterday. It's just, it is what it is, you know. What difference does all this make to my life, right? You say, well, Gordon, I mean, that's great that Jesus appeared to Samuel. That's great for Samuel, but what does that have to do with me? What difference does this make to my life? Um, Let's see if we can answer that. Earlier, um, we skipped a verse. I don't know if you noticed, we skipped verse 7. Let's skip back over there and look at verse 7 real quickly. It's a key verse in this whole narrative. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Most Bible scholars agree that this verse is not saying that Samuel was not a believer. To say that he did not know the Lord is referring to the fact that he didn't know God, like hadn't met God personally. God wasn't on speaking terms, disseminating his messages to Samuel through Samuel would then share God's message for the nation of Israel. That's what this author is saying here. He's not saying that Samuel becomes a believer in this moment. Samuel had been raised by his mother to know the Lord. He had been in service to the Lord there in the tabernacle uh, since he was two or three years old. Um, At this point in his life, he's just a young boy. Um, It's just that God had not yet revealed himself to Samuel for the purpose of his prophetic ministry. Now, I find it interesting that Samuel operated as close to God as you can get, right, if you're an Israelite. He's in the tabernacle. He's sleeping in the tabernacle night after night, night upon night. Um, Had the night shift. 
And very few Israelites got to do that. And for Samuel, this was a daily occurrence. And yet the scriptures say that he had never met God personally. There was no intimate relationship there. Now for us today as believers, we have access to God through Jesus Christ from the moment that we become believers. God grants us access to him. But I wonder for many of us, if we like Samuel, do the things that believers are supposed to do, approximate ourselves in ministry to God, go to where God is at work, but we've never really encountered the living God of the universe. Think about this for just a minute. The Bible says that Samuel's a young boy, um, perhaps eight years of age, perhaps 12 years of age. The term in the Hebrew there for boy is actually the same term that's used in referring to David or Dan, you know, David later in the scriptures. And David, when he goes out to face Goliath, it says he was a young boy. Well, we know that he was a teenager. So it could have been anywhere from early you know, elementary age all the way up through um, his early teen years. But still, it says that he's young. That's the point it's making there. And think about this for a moment. Samuel has an encounter with the God of the universe. I'm sure that there was a lot racing through Samuel's mind and a, a pitter-patter going on in his heart as he encountered uh, the living God. I'm sure there was something in Samuel that wanted to just drop to his feet and begin worshiping him. I'm sure Samuel was overwhelmed in that moment that he was having an encounter with the God of the universe. I'm sure that Samuel was in awe of the person standing before him. Um, when was the last time for you and me that we've worshipped God like that? That we've had an encounter with God like that? Where we knew we were in the presence of the living God of the universe. And we just wanted to drop to our knees and worship him. His presence was just so real and so tangible that we just wanted to spend time worshiping him. You know, we've been in this series now for some months, Vision 2020, where we're thinking about the coming year. And maybe God will yet decree some grand vision for our church, some strategy that he wants us to employ that's going to shift our programming, that's going to cause a major um, directional change for us as a church. I have no idea. That's not my intention. That's not what I'm seeking for because my primary concern as your pastor is that every time you go to your prayer closet and that every time you come here to this place of worship that you have an encounter with the living God of the universe. That's my overwhelming desire. And so the question is, again, are we having that kind of an interaction with the God of the universe? Can we say that we know the Lord? Or are we like the Israelites who go through a whole lot of effort and stand in the lines and take time off of work and spend the money and then make our way to where God's at work and make our way to be, being before God in his presence, and yet we walk away empty and we walk away disappointed? And so that's my, my chief concern. So with the time that I have remaining, I want to speak to the issue of how we as a church can increase our ability to hear the voice of God and to encounter him fully. Now, over the last several weeks, I have given you three of those ways, and I'll share them with you real briefly here. So numbers one, two, and three, how can we increase our ability to hear the voice of God? Number one being our total surrender to him. This is a moment in our life where we say, God, you have all of me where I'm giving all of my life over to you. And I've given in some of our home groups, we've talked about, well, what are some of the ways that we can do that? What are some of the ways that we can position ourselves before the living God of the universe in a way that will elicit 
our total surrender to him. One of those ways Kim talked about a couple weeks ago was to participate in the Emmaus Walk. This is a spiritual retreat weekend coming up in March. We, anybody's welcome to go. It's free for you to go. Um, there'll be a lot of other people from our church that will be there at that weekend, people that are working as well as people that are attending. Um, you may even see me there. It's possible. Um, all things are possible, right? Um, so, uh, so that's one of the ways where you can participate in a short-term missions trip. We've been talking about you know, uh, taking one of the missionaries that our church supports and going overseas and doing some sort of a visit with somebody in some sort of a short-term mission trip, or just getting involved with a place like Acts, or getting involved with a place like the Walton Pregnancy Center, um, where we can go and serve others, and where we realize that God has something more that he wants to accomplish through our life than just ourselves, and that's total surrender kind of stuff. The second thing that we can do is to get connected in relationship with other believers. That is to do life with one another. We shared that scripture with you from Proverbs chapter 27, where iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Friends, when we're out of relationship with other believers, we're just drifting. But when we're in relationship, when we're, con when we're connected and in fellowship with one another, it, uh, with other Christians, it has a way of just driving us closer and closer to an encounter with God. Our worship becomes more sincere. Our prayer time becomes more vital. And so get involved in one of those uh, ways uh, to connect with other believers. And then the third way is to have a daily quiet time to begin the habit of spending time with God, spending time in prayer, spending time with his word. You know, one of the purposes of prayer is to change us. And so when we go into that quiet place and we spend time in solitude with God, God is working on our heart. He's working on our mind. He's changing the substance, the fibers of who you and I are. And not only that, then we get to bring our request to him. Isn't that wonderful? He invites us, he petitions us to bring our daily bread issues before him, to talk to him about our need for forgiveness, to talk to him about the temptations that we face, to be able to live a better life. So those are three ways that we can position ourselves to be able to encounter the living God of the universe. Number one, to totally surrender ourselves to him. Number two, to plug into community with other believers. And number three, to have a daily quiet time. And the fourth way, and this is where I'll end today, is to get rid of active sin in our life to get rid of active sin in our life. Friends, there is nothing that will squelch the voice of God more than unrepentant, habitual sin. The psalmist David wrote Psalm 66 and verse 18. He said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. David is aware that when he's got active sin going on in his life, that it just hits like the mute button on God's voice. His ears get stuffed up. He can no longer hear. It severs that connection. He's turning his radio dial to try and find God's voice, and it's just not coming through clear. Friends, when we have active sin, habitual, unrepentant sin that we're not sorry for, that's what unrepentant is. We're not sorry for it. We're not interested in changing. When we've got that kind of activity going on in our life, that kind of behavior going on in our life, we're not going to have Samuel kind of encounters with God. My prayer for you today, friends, is that in the coming year, it will be your prayer, not just that you get to become love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, that you get to become all those fruits of the Spirit that God transforms you from the inside, but that you'll have these active, vital encounters with the living God of the universe. He wants that. He wants to have that kind of interaction with you. And Jesus Christ, our mediator, our high priest, enables that to happen. Let's bow our heads together with prayer, for prayer.
Most gracious God, we thank you for reminding us today of your desire, your longing to meet with us. Lord, you're always speaking. You're always available and present. We just have to position ourselves in ways that we can listen. We pray for ears to listen. We pray for eyes to see. We pray for softened hearts. Lord, may we also do the kinds of things more than asking. Lord, may we do the things, the habits, build these habits into our life that will lead to a closer, more intimate encounter with you. Lord, I pray that in 2020, you blow the roof off of our prayer life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in 2020, our times of fellowship become deep and intimate and vital. I pray, Lord Jesus, in 2020, that members of Hebron Christian Church would find themselves in total surrender to you. I pray, Lord Jesus, in 2020, some of the things that have been plaguing us personally, individually, privately, secretly, where those sins would be conquered and that we'd be able to put them behind us and be able to walk in freedom with you. Lord, we want an encounter with you. Not just one time, but Lord, we want it every day moving forward. As we come around this table, we're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body that make all these things possible. Lord, it is with grateful hearts that we receive these elements today. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.